BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way It's time to name the neglect from typical food advice. Welcome to the Find Your Food Voice podcast, hosted by me, Julie Duffy Dillon. I'm a registered dietitian with 20 years of experience partnering with folks just like you on their food peace journey. What have we learned? Well, cookie cutter approaches exclude too many people and you don't need to be fixed. It's not you. It's not me. It's all of us. Only together, we can start a movement and fix diet culture. And we will. Let's begin with now. Hi there. Welcome to episode 320 of Find Your Food Voice. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and I have a question for you. What do Gwyneth Paltrow, Snap Benefits, and the Wall Street Journal all, what do they all mean to your relationship with food? Well, actually, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, my team and I had a conversation about all the hoopla with Gwyneth Paltrow. If you, if you don't know what I mean, it's probably better. It's like such a such a shit show. But basically, she was talking about some of her um, ways that she diets, and basically without consuming calories. And my team and I were talking about this, and you know, really, what do we as individuals think, and what do we know bring forth to the podcast to um, discuss as it relates to our relationship with food, and what we kind of came to in our conversation is this dichotomy this abundance versus scarcity and um, the haves and the have nots. And this, no matter where you are in that kind of conversation, whether you have access to abundance, um, abundant food, abundant money, abundant power, or you're the opposite or you're somewhere in between, this impacts your relationship with food. So we are going to unpack it. 
I have invited Rachel Popic to jump behind the mic. Um, she's someone who has um, a lot of experience in her own community with um, something called Community Fridges. If you've never heard of them, um, we're going to talk a little bit about them in this episode. And I invite you, again, no matter where you are in your relationship with food and um, what kind of access you have, I invite you to this conversation and I hope it helps you to shine a light on what you want your next steps to be as you are breaking up a diet culture and healing your relationship with food and how you can contribute to make the world a better place for everyone and improve their own relationship with food. All right, before we get to my conversation with Rachel, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode of Find Your Food Voice is brought to you by my decoding and demystifying PCO carb cravings webinar. I wish you weren't taught to be ashamed of your PCOS carb cravings. You aren't weak for having them. You aren't gluttonous for eating in response to them either. You aren't doing it wrong. I wish you were taught these carb cravings are insightful. I have noticed there are two different types of PCOS carb cravings that give amazing, distinct intel. I wish you were taught from the get-go that both are to be trusted. Are PCOS carb cravings annoying as fuck? You bet. Should they be ignored or tricked? No way. Let's fix this. I'm putting together a mini training on PCOS carb cravings. It's a bite-sized lesson to help you move from chaotic with cravings to decoding their wisdom. You'll also learn the two different types of PCOS cravings and what they are telling you about your current PCOS symptom management. At this free webinar, you also get a peek into PCOS Power. It's an open house tour of all that is included. The learning modules, the community, the workbook, the discount, discounted dispensary, and so much more. And remember, it's free. So if you are interested, go to bit.ly slash PCOS Carb Cravings. Again, it's bit.ly slash PCOS Carb Cravings, and you will get to all the information and a place to sign up. Hey, Rachel, how's it going? Good, Julie. How are you? I'm good. It's so cool. I'm just so glad that we're going to have this conversation. I feel like it's been building up and it's just going to like burst out of us. So <laughs> I'm really excited <laughs> to do this. And um, I want the listener to know kind of like where we're coming from. We we um, had a conversation in, we call it our dream team, when Yelly, Colleen, and Rachel and I all meet. <laughs> we were having we a dream team meeting. We love, we love. Um, each other and working together. But um, we had a meeting and it was right after Colleen and I had recorded the episode that was on the Wall Street Journal article on how food is more expensive, so we should just skip breakfast. And and then um, Gwyneth Paltrow's interview where she talks about her like not eating and valuing, valuing her detox and not spiking her blood sugar, all that shit was happening. Um, and then of course, um, Brendan Fraser got his Oscar for that movie he was in. That all was happening kind of around the same time. And we're like, what should we talk about on the podcast? Do we really want to talk about Brendan Fraser? Like, ugh. And then Gwyneth Paltrow, do we really want to talk about her? And you brought up something about SNAP benefits and it was like we had like a collective mind blown because these celebrities, um, not celebrities, but like Gwyneth Paltrow and and folks who just are aligned with the stuff that she's doing with food, talking about 
spending money to like not eat. And at the same time, SNAP benefits were either ending or about to end. Um, and I, I know you're more involved in this conversation, Rachel, and like in your community doing a lot of work with um, this conversation. So could you fill me and Lister in? Like what's going on with SNAP benefits and how they ended? Am I wrong? Give me like the timeline. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. So um, as many people probably know, food insecurity in the U.S. is a huge issue. Um, in 2019, it was like a little over 10% of U.S. households were food insecure. That, so that's like over 35 billion people. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a figure that um, they estimate almost doubled during the pandemic. Um, and it probably goes without saying, but rates among Black and Latinx um, households are higher at like 19 and 16% respectively due to mm-hmm. all of the systemic racism and oppression that those um, groups face. Um, and so... During the pandemic, due to the increase in food insecurity, um, they created what were called extended SNAP benefits. So states were providing essentially two SNAP payments a month instead of one. And Mm -hmm. so that has been going on since March of 2020 for three years. And um, by the end of this month, all states will have phased out those extended SNAP benefits. So it's not that all SNAP benefits are ending, but those extended payments, those secondary payments are going Mm -hmm. away. So for some families at a minimum, that's like a reduction of $90 a month. Um, But -hmm. for other families, you know, based on family size, et cetera, that's up to $250 of money dedicated Mm -hmm. towards grocery shopping that is um, going to go away. And that is coming at the same time or a little bit after all of those other critical pandemic um, economic support programs like the extended unemployment payments, free school lunches, the extended child Mm -hmm. tax credit, all of those things have also ended. Um, At the same time as we're seeing um, a downturn in the economy and food prices continuing to rise, a la the Wall Street Journal um, Mm -hmm. Article. So that's kind of putting a lot of folks in this country um, on what we like to call a hunger cliff. So essentially, like a sudden gap in food benefits um, that Americans are experiencing that's going to kind of push them over the cliff cliff from being marginally secure in being able to access Mm -hmm. food to no longer being able to access food. Yes. Oh my gosh. At the same time, we have um, Gwyneth Paltrow talking about like doing a fast and not wanting to spike her blood sugar. And um, it's just such a like dichotomy. And it's um, as a team, I know we were like, wow, that's, that's really like, I think I want to say out of touch because I'm in that group too. Like I don't experience food insecurity, but like just knowing at the same time, there's like this disconnect. And I think that's really powerful. And I have a feeling it's also like intentional. Like there's a, there's something about being so engrossed in diet culture because you want to have access that you want to, um, I don't know, just 
be able to connect with other people, have support, like many, the many different reasons why people diet. They think they're doing the right thing, how that can be so distracting. So we don't see what's happening over there with food insecurity. I say over there, you know, like it, it's, it's this big, huge thing all around us all the time, but like to keep our like self-focus on, on the individual, it just is a really, um, scary. And also like, I know it's always been around, like this is, this is the way it works, right? Like, I don't know. Tell me what you're thinking about, like the two at the same time. Yeah. I I mean, I completely agree. And I think it's, I think it's really interesting when we talk about the kind of individual and, you know, the systems that we live under white supremacy, Mm -hmm. capitalism, et cetera, um, really like put the onus on the individual for everything. Every, we live in a very individualistic, mm-hmm. um, society and diet culture totally fits into that, right? Like mm-hmm. when the onus of weight loss and, and conforming to like, um, diet culture standards of, of like thinness and beauty, um, are all put on the individual. Like if, if a diet fails, if you didn't lose the X weight that you tried to on mm-hmm. a diet, it's not because the diet didn't work. It's because you did it wrong and you just need to mm-hmm. try mm-hmm. another one. And so that in turn benefits capitalism because it's selling more diets. Mm-hmm. It continues the the perpetuation of mm-hmm. like the diet culture industry, but it also keeps the focus so much on the individual that people aren't seeing these systemic issues that are really, really to, to, to blame for folks who are experiencing, you know, hunger, folks who are not experiencing optimal health. It's not because of individual choices, but it's more those, those social determinants. Yeah. Yeah. Like the themes of misogyny are just like so loud right now in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how people who are already marginalized and have historically been for centuries are told, well, we need to make cuts in the budget. So you're going to have to do more with less, <laughs> you know? And it is like, a that's like a massive diet culture theme. Like that is just interwoven throughout like, oh, well, you know, you can get by with less. You can just intermittent fast until noon. Like what, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, um, you don't want to spike your blood sugar. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm thinking way too much about Gwyneth. She doesn't not need this much energy, but it just is, um, the, 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 the type of system of oppression affecting everyone to cut back, whether it's because you have abundant access. So you need, need to make sure you don't, um, oh my God, don't eat the cake. And then, um, we don't have enough money to help you because we have kept you out for so long, you don't have access. So you're just going to do more with less. Um, You use the phrase when we were kind of prepping, like tightening the belt. I'm like, Ooh, that's a good one. Like that just is central (laughs) theme through all of it. And um, you know, something that comes up, um, we've had a few letters about um, that for the podcast um, where people have written letters to food and mentioned their, childhood um, history of n- not having access to enough food, like to, or, and also witnessing their caregivers 
eating less so that as children, they could eat enough or closer Mm -hmm. to enough. And talking about how they connected that history to their now, um, when they're living um, with enough access to food as an adult and experiencing binge eating disorder and just being curious about that connection. And um, something that I've talked on the podcast a lot about is how like, how dieting um, causes like a trauma in our body, you know, and and our body remembers Mm -hmm. so that when a diet is about ready to start, many people will binge before they even start, excuse me, before they even start to restrict because it's like the body knows what's about to happen and it's trying to save itself. And same thing with if you have a history of not having enough food at home or just being aware that that was like, it was scarce. And so other people were having to eat less to make sure you had enough that your body also remembers that too. And so if you have a history of um, food insecurity and are experiencing binge eating disorder, like that was a trauma that you experienced for a long time. And I don't know, I, I, I have a feeling that like the way diet culture has like encouraged our brain to react to binging or anything that kind of feels like that, whether it's like, whether we call it emotional eating or stress eating or whatever, like that it's our fault. But like, what if part of what's going on or all of it is because of this history and it's the, where we point the finger is the systemic oppressions, not your lack of willpower, your lack of knowledge. Like it's none of those things, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and there's a few very skilled therapists who can do trauma work with folks to help them process that trauma and help it um, have a different experience in the body to be less like activating, um, which for many people has been the way that they've been able to like heal that part. And that's only though, if you still have access now to enough food, like what if you don't? And yeah, like, so something that, you know, we were talking about is important to name is if you experience food insecurity now or in the past, like it would be really normal to experience binging or these kind of out of control eating experiences because your body is like wanting you to stay alive. (laughs) You know, this is not that like you're lazy or lacking any willpower. So um, yeah, I just think it was important to kind of mention that any, anything I left out in there that you think is important too. I think the the only thing as you were talking, it kind of, I, I know that when we're talking about food insecurity, we're, we're specifically talking about, those who don't have access to enough food for for themselves and their families due to financial r- restrictions or you know mm-hmm. uh, like if they live in a, a food desert etc but you can also look at like restriction and like disordered eating behaviors as a type of mm-hmm. food insecurity for sure and so 100%. i think it kind of I'm making that connection between like whenever there is a history of food insecurity, whether it be because mm-hmm. of financial mm-hmm. reasons or because of diet culture reasons, that encourages like a disconnected relationship with your body mm-hmm. and with food. And so it's, it's so, it's common and it's so understandable that that mm-hmm. would lead to binge eating behaviors or binge eating disorder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whenever we take like the 30,000 foot view of food behavior, it's it becomes apparent like the body can't really tell the difference between 
I don't have access to enough food right now, or I'm on a diet. And so I'm not getting enough food right now, or, you know, I'm someone is, I have to eat less because I'm eating for show around someone. And the body doesn't know the difference. Like the mind sometimes will have different conversations going on with it. But like when you get to like the primal level, like the uh, amygdala, you know, you're getting down to like the lizard brain and stuff like that. Like it can't really tell the difference and it's just doing what it needs to do to save you. Um, And, you know, someone who has a really um, kind of concrete conversation around this, um, her name is Ellen Satter. And Ellen Satter is a a dietitian and a therapist. Um, she's actually the, when I learned about her training and those two things is why I got trained as a counselor too. Um, but as I talk about and refer Ellen Satter's work, I just want to let you know, there are some themes of uh, weight normative behaviors. There's some O word discussions. Um, so I just want to let you know, in case you go down the Google path and you find what I'm talking about, just take care of yourself, especially if um, that word is stigmatizing to you. But uh, Ellen Satter has something called the food hierarchy of needs that really mm-hmm. informed a lot of my way of interacting with food behavior or just like my thought of it. And if you can imagine like Maslow's hierarchy needs, it's kind of similar. It's a triangle. And and she talks about how there's different levels of um ways of relating to food based on how much access you have to food and what what the world is telling you about food. And so, of course, the bottom of the triangle is enough food. And it doesn't matter why someone doesn't have enough. If someone doesn't have enough food, helping to um, manage PCOS by, um, I don't know, increasing fiber intake. I'm just randomly throwing something out there. Um, that's going to be a moot point. Like it's th- that the, the managing diseases through nutrition, which is like as a dietitian, that's what I'm specifically trained to do. That's the very tip. That's like the self-actualization version of the food hierarchy of needs. It's, it's pointless. Well, it's not a pointless because it's not the point, but like it's, it really <laughs> is like missing the point is probably really what I need to say. Um, but yeah, like having consistent access to food is the foundation. And until you have consistent access to food, doing all the rest will be kind of a waste of your time and a waste of your resources, a waste of your bandwidth. Um, and, you know, so like there's a lot of people that will not have access to enough food, but then also be worrying about cholesterol levels. And I can remember giving diet instructions at the hospital after someone had a heart attack and, I knew they were going home to a place where they didn't have access to enough food, but yet the doctor was telling me I needed to give them a diet instruction to limit their saturated fat intake. And I was like, really? Like, that's what we're worried about? Like, this is <laughs> this is what we're worried right, about. Right. Um, I think we need to make sure that this person has actually enough food at home. Then we can talk about the other things if that even is necessary at that point, because I think the stress of food insecurity probably impacted their heart attack more than anything. <laughs> So, um, but I want to kind of like move the conversation to, to a place. Um, actually, as I say, before I even go there, I'll say the Ellen Satter, if you Google Ellen Satter hierarchy of needs, we'll put a link to it in the show notes, but in case you're just listening and can't, you'll find it. So in case you want to read more on that, uh, especially if you're a clinician and you're like, Ooh, I want to know more. It's very, um, important kind of way of considering um, food behavior and also informed my, the next thing I want to say, which is 
you know, I'm thinking about a listener um, taking in this conversation um, and it reminds me of, you know, when I'm totally clocked out, you know, I'm not working, I'm walking Doug through the neighborhood. I see a, a neighbor friend and they'll start talking about maybe they are bad because they ate something or they want to eat healthier. What do I recommend? And the first thing I always ask is, well, do you have enough food at home? You know, if you're like, well, I want to be like, eat, eat healthier. What do you recommend? And I'm like, well, do you have enough food at home? And, um, you know, I definitely like, I live in a neighborhood where lots of privilege. So I'm not surprised to hear, yeah, I do have enough food at home. Like, good. Now let's make sure everybody else does too in our community, because like you can increase your fruit and vegetable intake, or you can, I don't know, eat organic. I'm just thinking of random things again, because it really is, doesn't matter. Like all those things are such a small drop in the health bucket, you know, for mm-hmm. an individual. And what makes so much more of an impact are these things called social, social determinants of health. And for you, the listener, if you're someone who is food secure, like, and you've always had access to enough food or at least have for a long time, and you're wondering like, okay, but I want to help my relationship with food. Something that's really important for you to know is part of how diet culture has fucked with um, all of us. Like, and to make it like us instead think about, I need to make sure I'm eating good instead of noticing how many people are hungry. And if we take the eye off of diet cultures, like seduction, (laughs) you know, I do think of it as a seduction. Like it's like, they're totally captivating us with this big lie that we need to focus on these uber details. If we can like, just look away from that for a second and look around us and our community and people who are experiencing hunger, like this hunger cliff, that is so scary. That is, and not okay. That is happening in the United States of America. (laughs) Right. I think you said it earlier, the greatest country in the world, right? Like why yeah, are we both have <laughs> please know if there were bunny ears. But um and for those uh, people who do identify it as the greatest country in the world, like we need to make it better then. Like um because for those of us who have an ac- have access to enough food and we're not experiencing these these systems of oppression, or not many of them, our health is not going to be impacted that much by how many vegetables we eat. But for folks who have more consistent access to food and they haven't, fixing that and like paying attention to that will tremendously impact. Like the amount of change you can make with food behavior individually on your health outcomes, it's only like 7%. Mm -hmm. The rest comes from genetics and social determinants of health. We can't change genetics, you know? Like once you're out here, it's set. But like- (laughs) Social determinants of health, like we can't change it. Like an individual who's experiencing racism right now cannot fix it. Like that's going to be all of us together that needs to fix it, you know? So um, yeah, that's something that I like, I just hope that if you're listening, you're like, well, how does this impact me? Well, it impacts the community you live in. So we can lift everybody up by being aware of these things and also at a community kind of level, helping to help people in your community not experience this hunger cliff. Um, I totally got on like a little bit of a rant, but okay. you know, like something, um, you know, something that like you mentioned, but as we were kind of preparing is like food is political. 
And I know you believe strongly in that. Is that what? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think to your point, like there's only so much that your behaviors are going to change your individual health, and we really should stop thinking so much about the individual. I'm not saying like disregard Mm -hmm. your Mm -hmm. self and your health and and like your mental well being, but we really need to focus on on the systems and the community and, and yeah, food, food is political, like how it's grown, how it's created, what we choose to eat, where we get our food, who's doing the production of, of the food, who's growing the food, how the food is cooked, who's cooking the food. All of those things are political and diet culture is so pervasive that mm-hmm. it makes it easy for the the people in power um, to do things like cut the extended SNAP benefits without it being like a huge outcry and outrage like across the country because we're so steeped in diet culture where there's nothing wrong with you know, quote unquote, losing a few pounds or eating a little less or the, the tightening of the, of the belt kind of mentality. Like as we, you know, kind of harping back to the Gwyneth Paltrow thing, the Wall Street Mm -hmm. Journal article, like those things, people don't even bat an eye at those suggestions. And so it, it makes it easy for people in power to, you know, reduce the amount that people are getting to contribute to their food security um, without really any, any pushback. Um, And Mm -hmm. to your point about, you know, your neighbor and and talking to your neighbor, like I think if we all spent a little bit more time asking those questions, analyzing those systems and making sure that everyone else in our communities and surrounding communities had enough to eat, we would be advancing like the the health of everyone a lot more than just focusing mm-hmm. on how many organic mm-hmm. fruits and vegetables that you know I'm consuming on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. Well and I think about for uh, there may be someone listening who is hearing this and feeling guilt and feeling ashamed. Um and I also think that is part of diet culture because it's keeping you, keeping you um, focused on you as an individual. And so we don't see what people in power are really doing. Um, and so what I would encourage you to do, if like you're hearing this, if it's landing that way for you, because um, you like being so engrossed and captivated and seduced by diet culture also is a form of, of oppression. You know, this is another type mm-hmm. of systemic oppression. And so I am invested in helping you to no longer be invested with diet culture. Like for you, the listener, that is what I will die doing. <laughs> this is what I will be doing forever because it is a system of oppression that you are experiencing. And so by you like feeling that guilt, that is part of how diet culture has wired you to respond is still to blame yourself. And what I hope you can do whenever you come across that guilt or shame 
in this conversation, I hope it pisses you the fuck off. Like, I hope it makes you so mad. And misogyny has trained us to not be comfortable with anger. So it may feel real wrong. But when I hear folks getting angry at the system's oppression, like, again, this is a 30,000 foot view. So this is not like an individual, but like looking at the big picture, that's when a person's relationship with food starts to shift in the way that they want it to. It's because it's taking it off of you, the individual doing something wrong. We contribute to oppression, but like- absolutely, And we also can contribute to go against it, you know? So um, when you run up across, you get real close to that guilt or shame, or if you're feeling it real hardcore, I, I encourage you to call it out. Say, hello, I was waiting for you. <laughs> and get real mad, get really mad and maybe go through some of the things that are happening with this hunger cliff. That is a phrase that will I will always remember. Like that is visceral right now in my body. Yeah. And so, um, which I think is real important and motivating and pisses me off. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's what I think about like for what's kind of like the next thing to do if you're someone who's not experiencing food insecurity, maybe never has. Um, what about for folks listening who either are experiencing food insecurity, know someone who is, or wants to get involved in being a part of the change? Rachel, what do you, where would you encourage people to like look to? So I would say that, you know, as, as awful as the pandemic was, one of the the bright spots that came out of the pandemic um, was the the creation and the popping up of what are called community fridges all over the U.S., all over the world, but um, all over the U.S. And they are places where, and I know you and Colleen uh, referenced this in that Wall Street Journal um, episode as well, but they are places that you can go and they're open 24-7. Usually there's a fridge, so like for refrigerated and frozen goods, and then normally a pantry for for shelf-stable stuff. Um, They're open 24-7 and you can take whatever you need out of them. Um, And likewise, if you are someone who is listening, who has enough food on your table and you want to do something about this problem, you can also stock those community fridges um, 24-7. And there are um, two websites that come to mind where they have almost like a community fridge finder search feature. Um, And we'll put them in the show notes, but it's uh, changex.org and what is called Fridge like F-R-E-E-D-G-E, like free oh, nice. fridge. Um, <laughs> I might be pronouncing that wrong. But they, okay. both of those websites have um, community fridge finders. So you can like plug in your zip mm-hmm. code and find community fridges, which are super common in more urban areas. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also on both of those websites and there's just Google in general, there's tons of resources on how to start a community fridge if that's something that you're interested in usually a group of people will partner with a business or a, a church mm-hmm. or a school that will like host the fridge the fridge will be there and they pay the minimal you know electricity fee to to mm-hmm. keep the fridge running and then a group of volunteers you know keeps it clean 
um, solicits, donations, etc. Um, and so I highly, highly recommend um, getting involved in a local community fridge or maybe talking to mm-hmm. people in your community about starting one if you don't have one near you. Um, it's also a great way to divert food waste, like a lot of Mm -hmm. local businesses who at the end of the day, you know, have food that's going to, that they can't sell the next day, they'll donate that food instead of throwing it in the trash. Um, So they're also a great way to divert food waste, Mm -hmm. which is something that I'm, I'm really big on. Um, Mm -hmm. And if there are no community fridges in your area, um, or that's too overwhelming to start one, Um, There are also food banks all over the place, food pantries, Mm -hmm. um, organizations that um, you can get plugged into to volunteer and also get access um, to food through them. Um, Mm -hmm. And something I do want to flag that Julie, you and I talked about while we were preparing that I think is really important to remember is that food pantries, community fridges... um, institutions like that aren't places for you to offload the stuff in your house that's like close to expiring or expired or Mm -hmm. the stuff that like you really have no like you don't want to eat and no one else is going to want to eat like it they're not places for you to like offload your trash um if you're going to work with those organizations or stock community fridges make sure that the food you're bringing them is is quality is, you know, it can be canned and frozen. And obviously there's nothing wrong with canned food, prepackaged food, but it should be good quality. Um, Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. so that's that's my little rant. Yes. I'm so glad you added that because I know that's uh, an issue um, where I live as well. Like that's something the, the food banks have mentioned too. Like, we actually cannot give people expired food. <laughs> like, exactly. and, um, and you know, that's, that's something about like preparing food or, um, just like food and, and, and it's like concept is like a nourishing, loving kind of gesture. So kind of offloading the stuff that is expired or I don't know, it's like it kind of gets in the way of that to me exactly. too. So yeah, it feels counter counter intuitive. Mm-hmm. To that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, well, I, we need to wrap it up, but I am so glad that we had this conversation. It was kind of just happenstance that we like came to this and I'm so glad we did because um, I know for us on our dream team, you know, we, these are the things that we end up like talking a lot about. Like, and so I'm glad we had a chance to like actually push record on part of that conversation. So thank you, That's Rachel, nice. for sharing your, um, experiences and, um, you know, sharing everything to help us get up to speed. Of course. Thank you for giving a platform to have this conversation. All right. So let's, let's get to work. (laughs) Take care. So there you have it. I hope you got something out of my conversation with Rachel Popic and all of the resources that we mentioned are in the show notes for you below. And we do hope it helps you to decide what your next steps are going to be. And before we head out and I conclude this episode, I want to say thank you so much for supporting the Find Your Food Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you left a rating or review or you subscribed or shared the episode, maybe with a friend, maybe on your social media, be sure to tag us. 
at um, Food Voice RD. And we really appreciate it. Like helping more people to find the show helps us to be able to do, to make this podcast and help more people just have access to their own Food Voice. All right. And this show was sponsored today by my free PCOS Carb Cravings class. It's called Decode and Demystify Your PCOS Carb Cravings. And you can get to all the details and sign up at bit.ly slash PCOS Carb Cravings. All right. Until next week. Take care. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is the Find Your Food Voice podcast ready to join the anti-diet movement and take the Food Voice Pledge? Go to julieduffydillon.com and sign your name to the growing list of people saying no to diets and yes to their own Food Voice. The Find Your Food Voice podcast is produced by me, Julie Duffy Dillon, and my team of kick-ass folks. I couldn't make the show without Yelly Cruz, assistant producer and resident book feed and Colleen Bremner, customer service coordinator and professional hype master. Audio editing is from Toby Lyles at 24 Sound. Music is Fly Free by Hartley. Are you looking for episode transcripts? Get them at julieduffydillon.com where you can also submit letters for the podcast, give us feedback, and sign the Food Voice Pledge. We need your voice to end diet culture. We literally can't do this without you. Subscribe to the Find Your Food Voice podcast to get weekly inspiration and education on how we can defeat diet culture and reclaim our own food voice. I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Find Your Food Voice podcast. Take care. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.